Welcome to Root Words, a podcast that explores agriculture and cooking's role in connecting us to our landscape and our communities. I'm Stephen Abatel. Root Words is a collaboration between Vermont Farmers Food Center, Shrewsbury Agricultural Education and Arts Foundation, and many other community members. The project began in 2017 and was made possible by support from the National Endowment for the Humanities, as well as from this community. Throughout this podcast, you're going to be hearing stories from people around the Rutland County region in the heart of Vermont, a region rich in agriculture, family farms, a region that's a pastoral working landscape. These stories are going to be each little windows into what a regional food system really looks like on the community level. We're excited to introduce you to some passionate folks working with the land and with food and bringing communities together. So please pull up a chair and enjoy. The Green Mountains are a forested landscape, and many folks interact with forests for work and recreation. While about 6.5% of Vermont's land area is human development, around 78% of the state is forested. Human activities and forests play different roles in the natural cycling of carbon. During photosynthesis, Vermont forests take in about 45% of the state's annual carbon emissions. As atmospheric carbon builds up and creates uncertain conditions for Vermont's future landscape, some folks are working to elevate the forest's role in the carbon cycle. Our forests are our second largest carbon sink, second to our oceans. With the hope that more Vermonters will not just see our forests as peaceful sanctuaries, wildlife habitat, and timber resource, but as a key element in mitigating some of the worst effects of climate change. For this episode, I visited Tim Stout on his family land on a rainy summer morning in Shrewsbury. Tim's family has owned this mountainside property for generations, and he's managed the forest with intention for decades. So I'm Tim Stout uh, at Jockey Hill Farm in in Shrewsbury, Vermont, and I've been coming here since I was a little kid, uh, and always loved this place and so I've put a huge amount of my life energy into maintaining it. Uh, My career was in working for large utility companies in energy efficiency and renewables. So I back I arrived here um, one one week and my daughter just had a a a child and I was thinking I wonder what this is going to look like when that child is my, that little boy is my, my age, um, so I'm 62, and what's going to be left here? So we know climate change is a, uh, a massive challenge for us, and things are going to change dramatically, and for years I've seen the impacts on this land, uh, but I've, I've seen changes that seem very clear, are are tied to the our changing climate um and you know probably uh some of the major ones are uh rain rain bursts so suddenly you have one of these 
you know, two hour downpours with huge amounts of rain and it starts uh, creating small streams in the, the river and the, or in the, in the woods. And then over time, those get larger and larger and it undermines the root structure of the, of the forest. So I see, you know, leaf cover definitely helps mitigate that, but we've, we've had really strong rains. We've had, uh, probably across Shrewsbury, phenomenal wind storms that come down off of Killington. Um, I haven't seen that in my lifetime. Um, and there have been times when I've been in the house where it's, it seemed almost unsafe because of the strong winds. Uh, so the, the winds, um, uh, the uh, temperature in the summer and the winter, um, where we have uh, you know, heat waves that we, again, we haven't experienced before or much less frequently. Um, and that's uh, definitely, that stresses the trees. Um, so that's a, a major concern. And then the temperatures in the winter, you know, like last winter, we just didn't get a whole lot of snow. We usually have loads of snow and not getting a, a thick layer of snow exposes the roots um if if they don't uh experience that that uh, if they're not protected they'll freeze the roots will freeze so those i would say are are some of the the major impacts that we're we're witnessing um and we've kind of recorded them over time but they just all seem to be getting more and more uh intense and so we can step aside and say there's not much we can do. No, it's too late. Um, I think that's a fatalistic attitude toward it. I think as landowners, there's a, a ton that we can do individually um, and, and work closely together. Take Shrewsbury. We have so many wonderful landowners in Shrewsbury that have, have a very similar way of thinking about their land. What new, how can I introduce new strategies on land preservation that can be applied here, but also applied to other, other uh, properties? And so that's how I, I got into forest carbon sequestration and storage. And with a, the great tutelage of people like Tony D'Amato at UVM and Bill Keaton and a variety of other people uh, who were just, this is roughly three years ago, just beginning to uh, really look at how do we apply this to smaller properties in Vermont. And uh, so I started an organization called Northam Forest Carbon and I spent the last, been about the last four years um, intensely looking at how can I build a larger carbon sink. My, my, our properties are all carbon sinks. You go out west where you've got huge forest fires and a lot of the forests have, have um, gone the way of the fires. 
those are no those states like Colorado and California are no longer carbon sinks. Um, they're carbon sources. We're really lucky in Vermont where uh, roughly 50 to 60 percent of the carbon we emit in the state is absorbed by our forests. It's a remarkable statistic. How can we get that to, how can we bump that up? We certainly don't want it to drop off, but what proactive steps can we make or take to, to, um, to sequester and store, and store more carbon on our land? I, we have a lot of new landowners in, in the state um, and I think a lot of folks coming in, and maybe folks that have been here, um, haven't maybe had much experience with um, with managing a, a forest property. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so some thoughts uh, on that. Like, if if you're coming in here and you're a new landowner and you have a, you know a forested property, um, what are some of the considerations you have for management of your property? Um, like goal considerations, like what, what even how do you even think about and structure goals for your property? What are considerations around that? And and if you can actually explain a little bit of like what does uh, current use mean, and and what is done to uh, to to maintain uh, a use status like that? Like who are you working with, and what's what's how does your plan look for something like that? Um. So the. For for new new landowners, um, I think one of the first steps, and and a lot of people buy land, and don't necessarily they're kind of afraid of it. They don't wander off into the woods um, because it's dark and scary. Uh, but there, I, enc- I encourage landowners to immediately Im- immerse themselves in the forest with the help of, you know, Vermont Cupboards or Vermont Woodlands Association um, or uh, your county forester. So, you know, here in Rutland, we have a wonderful county forester named Kyle Mason. Um, You can just give Kyle a call and they'll come out and walk your property with you and tell you what you have. Uh, So they're a huge diversity of resources one can tap into. The challenge and something I try to address in my work is how do you how do you sort through all those resources and find the two or three key people uh, that are going to be able to help you appreciate your land. And it's amazingly easy here in Vermont. Uh, I lived in Colorado for 10 years and it was a different story. Um, but in, in Vermont, there, there, there's a network of wonderful resources. Your county forester will know who, who to reach out to for, uh, expertise in a particular area. Um, if you've got a spruce fir mix, um, and you're not quite sure, you know, you've heard about one of these new insects, the hemlock woolly adelgid or the emerald ash borer. What does that mean? How do I treat treat that? And who can help me understand what how I can be, be proactive in the face of uh, of those insects in the face of invasive species? 
Um, so I, you know, when, there are lots of written resources that are on the websites of Fish and Wildlife and uh, Forest Parks and Recreation. Um, fantastic research resources. Um, some very new ones by Ali Kasiba, our climate forester in Vermont, on, on forest carbon. But you can find lots of material. The challenge is then figuring out which of those materials are most applicable. And again, I, I think it's, it's worth contacting your county forester and a couple of other, other people who are experts in the state. And they'll, they love coming out, or they appear to love coming out to walk the land. They're amazingly committed people. They'll, they'll give you much more insight, I think, just from a, an hour discussion, and then you can follow up with that. Uh, then you, you'd pick up from a, a piece of literature at, at, this, at, at this stage of learning about your forest. Um, the other thing to look into is the current use program or use value appraisal program in Vermont, which is a pretty, pretty phenomenal program. Um, it really encourages uh, landowners to create a 10-year management plan for their your forest and within that 10 years you're you have to hire a consulting forester they'll identify all their recommendations on how you should manage your forest and some people will say well i don't want to do a, a harvest um i don't want to cut down my trees and it's really useful to understand from an expert's perspective why it's important to do that um, and you have flexibility and timing. Vermont's Use Value Appraisal Program, widely known as Current Use, provides a tax benefit by enabling eligible private landowners who practice long-term forestry or agriculture to have their land appraised based on the property's value of production of wood or food rather than its residential or commercial development value. As of January 2021, there were nearly 16,000 forested parcels enrolled, more than half of Vermont's total privately owned forest land. We've been enrolled in use, uh, current use for 42 years, and it's with great pride that I show people, you know, this, this probably wouldn't have happened in our forests if it hadn't been for current use. And in our recent plan from three years ago, we put in a, a chapter on climate change. We put a chapter in on uh, carbon sequestration and storage. And we're constantly kind of adjusting those sections and make it very, making it very tangible to our, our land here. Um, and, but the sequestration and storage is not just uh, is not our sole goal. I mean, we've got so many other objectives on our, our land, which are slightly more traditional, you know, wildlife management, songbird habitat, um, climate, uh, tree species and diversity, and on and on. Those are, those are all objectives we have for the land, but now carbon is another piece of it. Many of the foresters, the county foresters, have been trained this spring in sequestration and storage. Uh, and they're always 
making little adjustments here and there most recently an amendment to current use will allow a landowner to uh, set aside a piece of land for a reserve um, so that you're not going to cut that for decades and decades um, so that you're constantly building up more and more carbon in that environment the the other side of that is that it is also designed to help the whole forestry community uh, from the perspective of uh, harvests of your trees to where those how those trees are used whether they're used for wood chips if they're used for lumber if they're used for what's called mass timber um, which is where they use uh, laminate wood wood laminate to build high-rise buildings and it's a there's a big big push to get more buildings in New England constructed with with timber the benefit of that is that that wood is locked up for you know 100 years or 200 years it's not that carbon that's in that wood isn't going anywhere and and so what are what are some of the major um what what are some of the things the resources or or support that your um your organization will help provide landowners in, yeah. in this um great question so we're uh our our goal is to or one of our goals is to make the whole concept of carbon sequestration and storage as tangible as possible and and interesting to people because we we know that trees are so critical to absorbing carbon and it's something people hear i think it's easy to forget about why that's another reason trees are so critical there are loads of reasons but if we can use them to store all this carbon um, so through our our field trips our website the materials on our website um, uh, lectures that that i and others give um, and then melding that with the work that some of these other organizations are doing like sustainable woodstock i i'm a tiny organization but if i can you work with other organizations get the word out and meet directly with landowners um, then we're having a have, having some impact what what are some of uh for you um what would be some some signs of a, a measure of success with the work you're doing it sounds like one may be um landowners uh adding in to their to a current use plan um specifically things about sequestration and um, and storage of carbon on their land. So what? What? So that and and what other things might be measures of success for your work? Um, so measures of success. Uh, one is just on the farm itself, having success in growing these climate resilient trees, and showing that in our our little microclimate here that they're hardy enough to survive. So they're 
other people around the state that are doing the similar work to mine, um, but their climates are very different. Their soil conditions are very different. Um, so if we can demonstrate that these trees are viable in our, uh, our area, that would be uh, a, a great success. Um, and uh, establishing other landowners or working with other landowners to get trees in their in their soil um, and integrating thinking of holistically of their forest is it's not just the trees that I have today but I need to increase the diversity of those species and so how can I get those in the ground and I don't you know a lot of a lot of landowners don't have the time to take it on but if we can build up a cluster of volunteers who can help make it make it happen, um, then that that would be a great success. You know, forestry is a practice that has evolved and been around um, for millennia, potentially, right? What what are some things? Um, what are some bits of forestry practice um, that are that look a bit different now? through the lens of, of climate um, changing and, and uh, sequestration and storage? Like what are some, some things that have, have come up from this that maybe are, are different than they were? Different considerations or different management practices that have come up from this? Yeah, I think um, one that comes to mind right away is uh, dealing with the trees when, when there's a harvest. It used to be pretty standard to just haul away the, or cut up the treetops and not leave them where they are. And there's a ton of wood in those treetops. Uh, there's a lot of wood there, leaving it, leaving where it, where it is. So there's an expression that the county forester in Chittenden County, Ethan Tapper, uses frequently, which is forests like it messy. And the messier it is, the, the better it is. So there's lots of dead treetops and then you've got lots of saplings coming up and it's not, you know, that's great bird habitat. Uh, it's great habitat in general. Uh, it used to be that you cut that all up and you'd chip it up and take it away and there's a gradual transition to recognizing that uh, no, we really want to leave that carbon there. Um, there's more, uh, in selecting trees, there's more awareness of, all right, what trees are we not going to cut? You want to, now there's, I, I feel more sensitivity to, all right, which ones are better at storing carbon? Um, which ones are hardier for our environment? Just being much more strategic in the trees that you take out and in the trees that you leave there. Um, which one, which, which of the trees that in our forest here in Vermont are going to do well in, under climate change and which ones are going to fade out? And there's been lots and lots of, of research uh, on this. The trees that were planning now 
the climate resilient trees include just a, a few of them are the northern red oak, uh, the bitternut hickory, the black cherry, black birch, basswood, uh, white pine, American chestnut, and red spruce. You know, there's a, a lot of debate about uh, which of the maples will survive, and it seems to, <laughs> it seems to, it's it's hard to. It, two years ago, I thought our sugar maples would be challenged, and now there people seem to be more optimistic. We'll lose our ash. We'll lose most of our ash, most of our hemlocks. Um, and the key thing now is to supplement what we have with trees that grow further south um, in the United States that will uh, do much better in a warming environment up here. Mm-hmm. So some, some things that, uh, given time, uh, there would be a migration of those, those trees further north. Um, this is for us to, to, to play a hand in that and, and right. to work it into management. So they, they refer to that as assisted migration. Um, so we, we can speed up that process um, and give them a head start. And, and that way, with a bunch of landowners working together, we can see which ones across Vermont. If I have a, a planning of American chestnuts, and we have an American Chestnut Foundation has a number of other plantings around Vermont, let's see where they, they do well. And then down the road, we'll be able to make stronger recommendations about which ones will have the, the greatest impact. Mm-hmm. I won't see this in my lifetime, um, but hopefully my my children and grandchildren will. Um, you know, they'll have 50-foot chets, chestnuts and oaks up in those fields and sequestering tons, and literally tons of carbon every year and storing tons of carbon. Carbon credit markets are an emerging resource for private landowners. In these markets, a carbon credit is equal to the equivalent of one metric ton of CO2. Tim is enrolled in the Family Forest Carbon Program. Developed by the American Forest Foundation and the Nature Conservancy, the Family Forest Carbon Program enables family forest owners to access carbon markets and earn income from their land. The American Forest Foundation sells verified carbon credits to companies and pays landowners to implement new carbon-minded management practices. Tim's passion to create a more resilient forest and a better future for his grandchildren has connected him to his neighbors, academic experts, and to the land he stewards. I have an enormous amount of passion for our land and for Vermont and what we can do to preserve it for future generations. Um, But I'm joined by many people in town who understand what I'm doing and have been supportive of it, even though they may not have a whole lot of time to devote to it. But they like to come for for walks on the property and learn about the latest projects that we're undertaking. But I'd, I'd say the, the 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 passion for forests that people here have um, it's a 
it it's kind of a, a, a root of our being and uh, I think it's very easy to to bond over uh, to develop fun friendships and relationships with people uh, so that we're doing something for for our grandchildren great-grandchildren uh, what more can we do This episode was produced by Stephen Abatel. Special thanks to Tim Stout and Northam Forest Carbon. To learn more about Tim's work to connect landowners with climate-conscious management resources, visit northamforestcarbon.com. To find your county forest store or learn more about Vermont's Use Value Appraisal Program, visit fpr.vermont.gov. Our musical themes are by the Salt Ash Serenaders. We are a project of the Vermont Farmers Food Center and SAGE. Thank you all for listening and for being a part of our local food system. We'll catch you next time on Root Words.